0: Finished his journey of faith. We're all at various levels, at different points in our journey with the Lord. And I think it's a good way to think about it. The Bible talks about it, thinks in Hebrews 11 about sojourners and pilgrims, and that we look for a greater city to come. That uh, this world is not our world. Uh, we're a bit like round pegs in square holes. We don't fit into the world. Our attitudes are different to the world. Uh, we hear things, and it just grates us all the time because we are not of this world, we have a world to come. And so we're on a journey. And that journey starts, of course, being filled with the Holy Ghost and we grow in understanding and wisdom through this marvellous gift that God gives to us, the spirit that has this incredible faith built into it. We learn to direct that faith. We learn to walk in faith, we learn to pray in faith and to see answers born of faith. So let's start our journey of faith. It has, every journey has a beginning and an end, a start and a finish. The Bible has another way of phrasing that. Hebrews 12 and verse 1. And it says, we're we are... Uh, also encompassed about with so great a, great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin that which so easily besets us and let us run the, with patience the race that is set before us, looking to the author, to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So when you think about the, the words author and finisher, that's really the Alpha and Omega. That's what Jesus Christ is described as, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And he is where we start our journey. He is the author of our faith. So that means uh, he created our faith, he constructed our faith. Jesus tailored, tailor-made faith um, created in the crucible of um, the crucifixion and the overcoming that he did. So Jesus had this incredible faith. And that faith now dwells within us. So it is fair to say that he is the author of our faith. It all started in him. Jesus uh, produced faith that created healing and that faith has been placed within us. So why do I say that? So Galatians 2 and verse 20. Let's turn to that. For it says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, for Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh I live by the faith of the Son of God. It's not faith in the Son of God, it's the faith of the Son of God, and there are other scriptures that support this this concept, that we have actually received the same faith that Jesus received. It's the same seed, it's the same measure, And we all receive the same measure of faith. You don't get a different faith than what I get. I don't get more faith than you and you don't get less faith than me. We get the same amount of faith. And what is that faith? That faith is the faith that dwelt in Jesus, the author, the starter of our journey. In Colossians 2 and verse 10 it says, and you are complete, which means full or finished, or perfect, in him, which is the head of all principality and power. So we are complete in Jesus Christ. When we receive the Holy Ghost, we receive a complete package. And we spend our life opening that package and understanding various elements in that package. We get to understand faith, and we get to understand how love works, and we we understand long-suffering and goodness and peace. And these qualities become renewed in us, but they're always there. The DNA of Jesus Christ has always been there in us through the infilling of the Holy Ghost and it germinates and grows and develops within us, but that potential is always there. We all receive that same potential. So it's about nurturing that faith. So that's why the Bible says we are complete in him. He doesn't add anything more to us. We spend our journey understanding uh, the spirit of God, understanding the word of God, understanding the various things we go through. And it is indeed a journey, pilgrims. So that is the finisher of our faith. We are complete in him. We are complete in Jesus Christ. And Jesus had this incredibly matter-of-fact faith you know, he would just say, he, he simply spoke, uh, laid hands on people and they were healed. He just would say, be healed. There wasn't this huge pomp and ceremony, the heavens didn't, didn't open and the heavenly choir sing every time he went to do something. He just made these simple statements of faith. Your faith has made you whole. Take up your bed and walk. Simple things. This is the faith that you and I have received. These are the things that we say. And so we can have the same expectation that God will deliver us. We are more than able to do this. And this is our journey, taking that step of faith, understanding the great potential that God has placed within us that yes, we can say the same things and do the same things as Jesus did. So the author and the finisher, the bookends of our life, the bookends of our journey, the bookends of our faith is Jesus Christ. And between those two bookends, we, and the Bible states that we live by faith, in Romans 1 and verse 17, For it says, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. So we are just because Jesus Christ made us just. We received his righteousness. And there is a great connection between faith and righteousness, which I won't go into today. But as we believe, the righteousness of God abides upon us. It talks about that about Abraham. And we, you and I, have also received the same. Through the Spirit of God, that righteousness not only comes through blood, the blood of Jesus Christ, but righteousness also comes because we believe. Our faith justifies us, our faith makes us righteous in the eyes of God. So it has this um, byproduct, if you like. Faith has byproducts. So you operate in faith. Believing, but there are other things that come with that package. Righteousness is not an obvious thing that comes with faith. If you connect with the blood of Jesus, okay, I'm righteous by the blood of Jesus, that's a pretty easy connection, but faith is not. Anyway, that's just an aside. So we go from faith to faith, from one act of faith to the next act of faith. Every prayer and fast we have, every time we read the word, we are moving from one act of faith to the next act of faith. This is living by faith. Our life is based in it, removed from one faithful act to the next faithful act. So moving from faith to faith is to live by faith and it justifies us. We are justified in the eyes of God because we have the faith of Jesus in us and then we use that faith. As we walk. So, continuing our journey, we're living by faith. We have the author and the finisher. But our journey hasn't ended yet. So, we're believing as Jesus believed. We're happy in our walk, enjoying things that God is blessing to us when we come across a situation of unbelief. How is this possible? We're faced with an event, a trauma, whatever it is, and suddenly we find ourselves flagging. That we stagger at the promises of God, as the Bible talks about. There is, of course, a case of this in the New Testament, in the Gospels, in Mark chapter nine and verse twenty-four. So let's turn to that, where a man had that very problem. On our journey with the Lord. We come up against unbelief, and Jesus said unto him, "If you can, if you can believe, all things are possible to him that believes." Immediately, the father of the child cried out and, with tears, "Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief." I really love that statement. So, the context of this story. As that this man brought this his son to Jesus' disciples to be healed by them, and they couldn't do it. And so this man was conflicted. On one hand, he had this the reputation of Jesus Christ, that all that went and laid their hands on Jesus were healed. And on the other hand, these disciples who were following Jesus Christ couldn't heal his son. So he had belief. He believed in Jesus, but he had unbelief regarding his disciples. So those two apparent contradictions can exist at the same time within us. We can have belief and we can have unbelief coexisting at the same time. The man believed in Jesus Christ, but he was struggling because his son wasn't healed. This man actually says in verse 22, if you can do anything, he just wanted Jesus to do something. I don't know what you're going to do, wasn't sure. Just do something, Lord. So we have this situation of unbelief amongst belief and they are not mutually exclusive. They can exist in us at the same time. We can experience unbelief in receiving a healing. But we still believe in God. That's the classic example. We believe in God, but we pray. we been praying maybe for years, haven't had a, had a haven't had a healing, and so unbelief um, rises up within us. Why has this happened? Why is it? Why am I not being fixed? Why am I not being healed? So I want to draw you this little mental picture of belief versus unbelief. I think I look think about the ocean. I think we have this sea of belief, of faith, of trust and we have little islands of unbelief or shoals or sandbars and then we're sailing along happily in in our boat of salvation, the sea of faith and everything is good and then we come up against a sandbar or a rocky outcrop and we hit it it and it shakes us So you can have those both things exist at the same time. Our belief is this huge blue ocean and we have these small shoals or sandbars of unbelief. Unbelief because of bad health or financial circumstances yet we never stop believing in God. So there is no condemnation in that that we sometimes beat ourselves up, you know. um, I'm lacking in faith. What am I doing wrong? Have I sinned against God? When none of those things are true because we live in the ocean of faith. We live in this vast sea where we're trusting and believing in God. And yes, we come across difficult things. There's lots of great examples in the Bible about that very thing. Amazing men. And women, of course. An example is Thomas was chosen disciple of the Lord and he's made that, that famous statement that we know about. Unless I see the print of nails in your hands and put my finger into the print of nails and thrust my hand into your side, I will not believe. And when Jesus appeared to Thomas, what was Thomas's response? My Lord and my God. He was just, oh, I'm sorry. I really got that wrong. But he still believed in Jesus. Again, unbelief amongst belief. Abraham laughed at God when he thought that a child could be born to him of an old age. Sarah did the same. They laughed. Yet we know that Abraham is called the father of faith. Upon which God had placed his whole plan upon. It all based and started in Abraham. So he was an amazingly faithful person, yet he struggled with some of the things that God was saying. God didn't reject him. He just understands, God understands the human condition that you and I experience every single day. Joshua was another. When we read in Joshua chapter 1 and verse 9, it says, It says, have I not commanded you to be strong and of good courage, don't be afraid. Why did God say to Joshua, don't be afraid? Because he was afraid. Why else would he say it? So he had fear. He feared what would happen. But I think the great quality about Joshua was that he believed in God more than he believed his fear. That's a key statement. Sometimes we can believe in fear more than we can believe in faith. <laughs> we can believe more in all the negative things that are going to happen to us and all the things that are going to go wrong as opposed to the God of the impossible, the God who can do anything, unlimited, all-powerful and almighty. And our belief system becomes is based starts to become based in fear, all the things that will go wrong when we forget who we worship and who we follow, Joshua chose to believe in God. It will be okay. It will all work out. Don't worry. Don't stress. God has his hand on it. So I think that's why Joshua was so successful. Yes, he had these things that he was battling with, maybe the promises of God, and yet he believed in God more than he believed in his own personal fear. So continuing on in our journey of faith, we've come against unbelief and we're struggling away with it, beating ourselves up. So what is the antidote to unbelief? It's probably pretty, pretty obvious to us and I'll remind you of it. In Jude verse 20. I like the word antidote. That means you can inject yourself and you're going to get better. That's what an antidote does. You get bitten by a snake, you take the antidote. What do you expect? You expect to be healthy or healthier. (laughs) So this is the antidote to unbelief. But you, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, I don't know how you pray in the Holy Ghost without speaking in tongues. I don't quite know how that's possible. You can't pray in your brain. Praying in the Holy Ghost is praying in tongues. That's what praying in the Holy Ghost is. It can't be anything else. It can't be praying in English. Because it means the whole world is then filled with the Holy Ghost. Which is not, of course. So praying in the Holy Spirit is praying in tongues. Keeping yourselves in the love of God looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. How simple is that? It's so simple. There is no IQ involved in that. You don't have to have an IQ of a rocket scientist or Einstein to understand that simple scripture. All I have to do is just pray. And if you struggle to pray, you get others to pray for you because sometimes people do genuinely struggle with prayer, depending on what they're going through. And so that's why we have the concept of the church, of brothers and sisters working together. We pray for one another, we uphold one another, and God makes intercession. Prayer, what a powerful tool God has given to us I'm going to make a bold statement. (laughs) Even in your unbelief, prayer still works. I don't believe, Lord, I'm struggling with this, and if you pray in the Holy Ghost, what happens then? What did we just read? Keeping yourselves in the love of God, building yourself up on your most holy faith. You can pray in unbelief and the Spirit of God changes us and transforms us, even in our unbelief. I believe, help my unbelief. This is the power of the Holy Ghost and we've all experienced it. That as we pray over the Word of God, we find a scripture for the day and you just think about it and pray about it. This miraculous thing happens to us where faith increases in us. It is miraculous how this happens. This process, this transformative process happens. All I have to do is pray. If you get to the end of the rope, just pray. Get down on your knees and pray. Lord, help me. And you'll find, as you do that, unbelief falls away as we continue. Now, this may not be a five-minute prayer. This may be a couple-hour prayer. Or you do that over successive days or a week. You might be so far down the rabbit hole that you need to spend so much time in prayer pulling yourself out. Well, that's what you've got to do. Prayer is this powerful mechanism that God has given to us to help us as an antidote to unbelief. Matthew 6 verse 6. All I have to do is pray. Repeat after me. All I have to do is pray. Nobody said anything. Start again. All I have to do is pray. Very good. Now you remember that. Sorry for doing that, but anyway. Matthew 6 and verse 6. But you, when you prayest, enter into the closet, and when you shut the door, pray to the Father which is in secret, and thy Father which is in secret shall reward thee openly. So I've said a lot of things about prayer over the years and praying in their closet. I have heard testimonies where somebody had climbed into their closet to pray. I'm pretty sure none of us do that here and if you do, please don't admit it. I don't want to know. (laughs) I think it's the spiritual closet. (laughs) A quiet time between you and God. We draw into our closet with him and he draws close to us and we draw strength from him. If you want to become fit and put on muscle and bulk up, how do you do that? You've got to train, you've got to exercise. Those terrible words, train and exercise. Looking at pictures won't do it for you. Thinking about it won't do it for you. You've actually got to do it. And that's what it is in the Lord. You've got to do something to receive the benefit of being filled with the Holy Ghost. Desiring to be fit, we all desire to be fit at varying levels, it doesn't work unless you actually do something. And it's the same thing of walking in the Holy Ghost. You've got to do something to experience the blessing of God. Hoping and wanting and desiring and having good intentions gets you nowhere in the Lord. You've actually got to do it. Did Jesus pray? Yep, pretty sure he did. I think he prayed quite a lot. And he had to because he was being swarmed during the day. Wherever he went, he had to stand on a boat on the shore of the sea to to speak to people. He was being swarmed. So the only time he could really pray to get in his closet, inverted, inverted commas, was at night. We go away from the disciples and go up onto a mountain, for example, is one of the examples I think of, and he prayed all night. I've tried to pray all night, I get to about two o'clock, and that's it. I'm done. I'm snoring. Now, if snoring is part of the Holy Ghost, well I'm very spiritual. Pretty sure it's not. Anyway, Jesus prayed all night. Now the next question you may ask is why would Jesus need to pray? The Bible describes him as the Godhead or part of the Godhead. He is the door, he is the chief shepherd, he is the king of kings. He has access to angels. He's just got to call down angels and they're there. Why does Jesus have to pray at all? He's got it all happening. And yet we found and we find that Jesus had to pray because he set the example. He had to overcome his own flesh. Now, Jesus didn't receive a supernatural flesh, a Superman flesh. He received the same flesh as you and I. Otherwise, it's not genuine. It's not a genuine sacrifice. He, he wouldn't understand what it's really like to be human beings. He received exactly what you and I received in terms of the flesh. And that's why he had to continue to pray. Hebrews 4 and verse 15. For we have not a high priest which cannot be temp- uh, be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted, as we are yet without sin. So Jesus was tempted, and and, and, and tempted is tempted. It's not a it's not a um, a pretend word. It's not a religious concept. It actually really means Jesus was tempted. Oh, I really want to do that. That's what temptation is. I really want to do that, but he chose not to. So temptation is not sin. So your flesh being tempted by something, a really yummy ice cream, is not sin. It's the doing that makes it sin. So there you have it. If you eat ice cream, you're a sinner now, from now on. Jesus balked. Jesus, in all the eternity, actually struggled with one point. And we know what that is. He prayed three times in the Garden of Gethsemane, take this cup from me. I do not want to do this. I do not want to go through the next 24 hours of my life. And he says in Mark Mark, Mark 14, verse 38, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit truly is ready, but the flesh, the spirit is Truly is ready. This will be a slightly different translation. But the flesh is weak. So Jesus understood that we have to pray. And if you haven't done it for a while, good time to start, even if it's five minutes. That will transform you, those five minutes. Five minutes with the Lord. And God will work on your heart and your mind and change you. Even in your unbelief, when you're struggling with every concept to do with God, is there a God, why aren't I healed, why do I come to the meetings, is this the word of God, all those struggles, as you pray in the Holy Ghost, God removes them from you. So this is our journey, the journey of faith. Journey of prayer maybe too, I talked a fair bit about that the author and the finisher of our faith. We we start by being filled with the Holy Ghost. We live in faith, being justified by it. We come across sandbars of unbelief and difficulty and condemnation and works of the flesh and we work our way through it as the Spirit of God helps us This incredible antidote that God has given us, that is of prayer. And the finisher of our faith, the last scripture, 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 9. Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. So this is the ultimate end. Is Jesus finishing and at the end of our race? walking hand in hand with him, him leading us and guiding us. What a thrilling, amazing life God has called you and I to. We don't deserve to be saved, we're not more special than anybody else. But We have this incredible God that we walk with, Saviour Jesus Christ as our brother, privilege of being filled with the Holy Ghost, access to all these incredible qualities that God gives us what a privilege it is to walk with the creator of all things and all the people said.